from two Enneagram map makers charting the unexplored interior landscape of the ego with Chris Hewitt. So welcome to the first episode of Enneagram Map Makers, where we set out to chart the unexplored interior landscape of the ego. During this first season, I wanted to feature my teachers, the folks I trained with, the folks I've studied under, and um, been around for the last 10 years. And, and, and I'm grateful for each of their contributions, and I'm grateful for how all of these guests that, that you'll hear over the, the next several weeks have shaped this larger conversation. Really, we, we stand on their shoulders, and without them, we wouldn't have the, the, the rich, dense and mysterious teaching that we're working with today. Now, because of these legacy teachers and, and these folks that I am really and truly indebted to, I wanted to introduce you today to Father Richard Rohr. He's really the first guest because he was my first Enneagram teacher years ago. Spent a week with him in Albuquerque in what used to be an intern house, sitting across the table, furiously scribbling down these notes, trying to keep up with him, asking him, um, I'm sure what were, were, were the stupidest questions he had maybe heard on the topic. And with such winsome and charming kindness and, and patience, he, he really just helped me take this inward and, and, and helped me find practical hinges to, to do my own soul work and inner work with. I first came across Richard because of his intentional community work that he did shortly after graduating seminary. In the early 1970s, he helped start a community called New Jerusalem. And I had myself spent 20 years in an international intentional community um, doing humanitarian work all over the world. And the things that we did were, 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 were beautiful and, and helpful and, and hopeful. But the truth is the hardest part of that was doing this in relationship, was doing this in community, was doing this with people that I had a really hard time being with and being around. And so looking at Father Richard's work and reflecting on that gave me hope that actually it's not that community will sustain our vocations, but they incubate our vocational imagination. And coupling that with, with something like the Enneagram really sort of creates the possibility for our continued becoming. Now, when I first met him, I was at a, a really, really rough point in my life. I had, had resisted a lot of self-care. I had actually resisted um, giving myself over to a meditation or, 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 or contemplation or mindfulness practice. It was, was painful for me. And, and because of some of the bad decisions I had made and, and the consequences of those catching up to me, I was bumping around on the bottom of life. I was, I was devastated. I remember on this, this, this blustery fall afternoon, sitting across the picnic table from him at the Center for Action and Contemplation, um, I broke down and, and, and I just wept at, at where I was at and, and, and how far from my center I had gotten. And, and as I looked up into, into Father Richard's eyes, I'm not sure if what I had shared with him was, was going to scare him off or, or shock him. He just smiled and, and almost laughed and said, sounds like you're right where you need to be. And that was the beginning of what's been a, a really, really redemptive, transformational and inspiring friendship. If you're unfamiliar with Father Richard, I would say this without hesitation. I really believe that he's the world's leading Western spiritual teacher, bridging non-duality mysticism and, and fusing it with contemplative practice. The impact of his contributions and the ongoing evolution of our collective human consciousness and, and shared spiritualities shows up in, in unlikely places like the New Yorker magazine. He's been the guest on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday twice. And, and what's amazing about him is there's this genuine and sincere humility. It's, it's like he's this sweet old guy from Kansas who kind of doesn't even read his own press or, or get the significance of it. And this kind of, oh, shucks, I'm not sure that I really did that well on that show or whatever. It's just so endearing. And it, it's what makes so many of us love him so well. He's written at least two dozen amazing books. His book, The Enneagram, A Christian's Perspective, helped a lot of us back in the day who needed to rub some Bible on this teaching to make it street legal in our faith communities helped a lot. And, and, I, and I know that a lot of us who are continuing to work with those and develop those ideas um, owe quite a bit of our, our inspiration to him. I consider him a mentor, a guide, a teacher, but I'm also um, thankful to consider him a friend. And so I can't wait for you to join us and, and listen into this conversation, a, a conversation that I think is um, both curious and, 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 and deferential, a conversation that is um, honest and, and, and even um, a conversation where I've, I've, I, I, I hear Father Richard say some things that 
in, in 15 years I've, I've, I've never heard him talk about before. I think you'll find it interesting when I ask him, if the Enneagram doesn't change everything, then, then, then why does it matter and what's the point? And, and I think even his honesty with that will, will, will be riveting and, and, and inspiring. So join me as um, I jump into this conversation with Father Richard Rohr. So, Father Richard, thank you so much. You're welcome. I, uh, <clears throat> of course, I'm indebted to you. You were my first teacher. You've always the been, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You've been a great guide and, and mentor. So this thank is you. a huge thank privilege. You. I'm honored. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Works both ways. Uh, and thank, thank you for your contribution to the tradition. Um, to what I don't this know has how become. I got thrust into this, mm-hmm. and I don't regret it, of course. But at such an early stage of the American discovery of this, but anyway, take me where yeah. Well, that's you want. That's where I actually want to jump in. Like right. I am so uh, curious about the the early days, the history, right? Because oh, the enneagram okay. of personality is less than fifty years old. Yeah, and you were yeah. one of the yeah. one of the first to sort of by accident. Yeah, and when you found out about this, it was it wasn't exactly street legal, was it? Like you weren't supposed to know. We had to keep it secret. And I don't know who would have arrested us if Mm. we would, (laughs) but it was sort of an in-house agreement that you didn't talk about it or write about it publicly. Isn't that strange? Early seventies. Yeah. So what, so can you talk a little bit about that culture like that? Yeah. um, Well, you know, because it was unknown, and sounded esoteric, and people thought it was angiogram or something. Even the word was suspicious. And then the dialogue looked like the satanic pentagram. I don't know if those are the reasons, but maybe there was fear of lawsuits too. Mm. I'm sure you've heard the history that in the summer of 72, a group of Jesuits, God bless them, I'm a Franciscan, I, <laughs> they went down to... Uh, Chile. They had heard about this and felt there was something significant and uh, studied it at great length under Claudio Naranjo and others. I don't know who the whole team was. Uh, became infatuated with its possibilities for spiritual direction, which has always been a specialty of the Jesuits. So, um, uh, one of those, no, 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 I'm missing a step. That group came back to Berkeley, California, all right, and sat around in the common room there where the Jesuits sit and talk with one another and taught it to a larger circle, maybe four, and this then moved to about eight, as I was told. Mm. I can't swear by any of this. Uh, and it just so happened, one of those eight was my spiritual mm-hmm. director in Cincinnati in 1973. I was just ordained a few years and certainly needed a spiritual director. And uh, I was amazed at his insight. He barely knew me, but he knew me. And in the old Catholic Church, we would call that reading souls. And I thought, my, he's holy or wise or something. Then he let the cat out of the bag and said, Richard, there is a method to my madness. This is Father Jim O'Brien. He's been dead some years now. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said, and I've been using a tool that I now would like to teach you because I think you're ready for it. And so, in very short order, he communicated the Enneagram to me, Hmm. uh, while also letting me know what I was, which was a one. And I've often said, uh, it wasn't far to drive from Xavier University to the New Jerusalem community, uh, but on that drive, I must have looked like a deer caught in the headlights, because I just recognize Hmm. so much of what I've done in my life, how I've done it and why I've done it, Hmm. and uh, that it was clearly the reason I've done a lot of things at that point, had done a lot of things well, if you want to say that, but also had made a lot of mistakes. 
So I continued to go to him for some time, dear, I think genuinely holy man himself. Mm. Uh, but I was, this was in the earliest stages of the birth of a lay community that I found myself called the founder of, uh, the New Jerusalem community. Yeah, I was about 28 then, 29, and they were about 18, 19. So I just had 10 years on them. But to these kids, I looked like a, a man, an old man. <laughs> I don't know what I looked like. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was really grateful to have this, this amazing tool, especially because there was so much dating going on and marrying and giving in marriage. Uh, and they came to me for their pre-marriage counseling. Mm -hmm. uh, and after a few years, I just made the Enneagram part of the, I don't marry you unless we talk about yeah. this. Because, <laughs> um, it, you know, I could almost with certitude yeah. tell them, here's what you're up against. Uh, he's this way, and you're this way. This is going to turn you off. Oh, it already does, she would invariably say, you know, mm. and vice versa. And this is going to work. I, I just, I'm, I'm still, how many years is it since 73? But I'm still in awe about the, how can one tool be so true yeah. again and again and again yeah. and again? Yeah. So that's how it started. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wasn't allowed to talk about it or write about it then. But Jim just said, this is my training of you as a spiritual director, mm. but we don't know what to do with it yet. Mm. If there's some copyright somewhere, there didn't appear to be, yeah. but I being a good one, uh, didn't write or talk about it really till I, I made a set of talks right here in Albuquerque mm. in around 86 or 87, and they were recorded. Yeah. So, so I also learned it when I was in, in an intentional community. And, and I think a lot of us who are in communities and we come across the yes, program have yes. this tendency to actually want it for our group before we internalize it for ourselves. Well, that's so probably true. Yes. Any advice that you could give folks who, who, who have that sort of urge to like put type on their partner, their friends, their community members, rather than maybe I metabolize and ingest this first? You know, I gave up trying to inhibit that <laughs> mm -hmm. because I know no one listens to you anyway. They're going to do it. Uh, and don't we give you the, the gospel before you're ready for it? Don't we give you uh, mm -hmm. Jesus before you're... You grow into it. You make mistakes, mm -hmm. and that's how you learn. But all things being equal, you're correct. We would be wiser to lay it on ourselves at some depth uh, before we understand the dynamics of transformation. Yeah. 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 So then so so then if I could ask you as a one, you know, it was it was specifically you and your oneness that really sort of broke my heart open for compassion for all the types. Really. Realizing like how hard it must be to mm. have this unrealistic notion of perfection that You'll yeah, never be able to live that into. You never can. Yeah. And so, how how was it for you coming to term with what was beautiful and accessible and human about your flawedness and your humanity? First of all, it was a relief mm. before it was a burden. Mm. Uh, that's why I became a priest. That's why I've always been a zealous idealist. Uh, so I. It let me off of a huge hook mm -hmm. of guilt and shame, which ones are so prone to anyway. So I didn't suffer its negative till, I don't know, that's the way it works with everybody, until I'd first enjoyed its consolation. It was mm -hmm. truly consoling. Oh, God, Richard, what have you, what you been shaking your finger at yourself all your life. Mm. Now it got you to where you are, <laughs> whatever that means, that I got through the seminary without a single negative vote mm. over 14 years, that's what they told me. Because mm. we ones are always good boys, good girls, uh, by, ever, by whatever the rules of the group mm. are. 
uh, now we're we're fighting it inside. Uh, we're critiquing it inside, but we don't let anybody see that. Now that, as you well know, is our inner conflict. Mm. We try to be, and externally we are good boys, good girls. Uh, but uh, we cannot help but see the superficiality, the phoniness, the hypocrisy, I'm going to use strong words, mm -hmm. the power games of almost everything, mm -hmm. uh, starting with ourselves, the imperfection, in other words. Uh, mm -hmm. Now that became my spiritual gift when it got a little kindness around it, a little patience around it. I, I really... Of course, I'm 76 now. Uh, but I don't take it that seriously mm. now. It's like, yeah, but not always. You understand? Yeah. I, I give myself and others a lot of room for mm. exception, timing, other factors. Mm. But that took years yeah. to learn. And that's, um, you know, my experience with ones, those are the ones that actually become the sort of midwives to our own imperfections and making peace with yes, that. Because yes, yes. I, I think in particular for the one who can't live with their flaws, it's not safe for any of us then to be human. If we can't exactly. be as good as you, which ones of course are better than they I'm need to better. be. We're just so good. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's something safe though about that. There's something safe about yeah, like being with is. that person who's, yeah. who's made peace with, I'm beautiful because I'm flawed. Like, yeah. Most people trust ones. Mm -hmm. they, they know we're not going to do something outrageous, are unreasonable, are, yeah. are normally immoral. We yeah. have all of our immoralities, I'm sure, but not the obvious ones. Yeah. 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 So then I, let me ask you this. Um, you, of course, were, were one of the great early guides and teachers, um, content curators, authors of this, um, your, your, your audio and your video, I, it still shows up everywhere. You were a keynote for the International Enneagram Association, mm -hmm. best-selling book that actually sort of made it okay. Like you, you didn't rub some Bible on it and, and, and let it be safe for Christians, but you, you really built bridges. I hope so. So why, why did you stop teaching it? Well, just because I, I found it was ancillary, do we use that word? Uh, it was a helper. My real vocation is to preach the gospel. I mean, everything else is subservient to that. Just mm -hmm. in my own mind, no one told me I had to do that, but I knew that was my gift, and everything else that has come into my life is, is secondary mm -hmm. and a tool help and this is one of the major ones but uh, once I recognized it was and which only started in the late 80s that it was being taken up by many others and I'm not being humble many others who I like yourself who I believe are better teachers than I am at this point really mm -hmm. I just know the roots and I have a lot of experience with it but uh, and there were people who are making their living on it. I don't need to make a living. I'm a Franciscan. So I just sort of withdrew from the field and let people go with it. Now, I kept getting invited to give keynote addresses. Um, but then I even stopped those just because they don't need to hear me one more time. I always feel like I'm saying, <laughs> saying the same thing, you know. Um, but it wasn't because I didn't believe in it. Mm -hmm. I believe in it just as much, if not more, 40 years later, is that 40 years, whatever it is, mm -hmm. uh, because I've seen by experience, not by some papal imprimatur, but by experience that it's true. Mm -hmm. And no pope could tell me it isn't true, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, well, you are you are beloved in the professional Enneagram community. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I get hit up all the time, like, yeah. hey, could you ask Father Richard if he come back down? And, <laughs> and I, uh, I know people love to hear from you when you, you do bring this mm. forward. So, so thanks for that. You're welcome. Um, I have another question, and, then, and this is going to take a quick second to get to it. That's all right. But I, uh, I just listened to this podcast with um, Jack Cornfield. 
a Buddhist teacher of meditation. Oh, yes. Written yes, several books on this. Yes. And uh, it was a great, great interview. Towards the end of it, the, the, the person asking him this question, it almost took the breath out of me. He goes, so you've spent your whole life writing and teaching and practicing meditation, and, and then your, your, your marriage fell apart. Like, mm. could you help our listeners mm. sort of understand, like, where's the credibility in this? And, and I'll say this, like, when I started to take my Enneagram training seriously and I started to, 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 to do more advanced studies and was lucky, I, I, I sat under some of the world's greatest teachers. Yes. I was surprised at how many of them sort of were, in a sense, trying to reassemble the rubble of their lives of yes. broken relationships, of things not working out, of struggling through addiction and recovery. And, and, and for me, it was really fresh. Like for me, it was like in my religious communities, you had to present as if it was all worked out. If you had, you had to present as if you had it all together. And, and now when I look at my, my fellow sort of professional colleagues, folks I've studied with, folks I've studied under and realize like awareness of the Enneagram doesn't actually change everything, then no. what's the point actually? No. <laughs> There's so many questions in there. It, it doesn't change. I mean, I'm still a one. <laughs> at my worst self and at mm. my best self. Mm. Uh, the core self is still playing out this game. Mm. And can't you, you become less lethal, less toxic, less capable of hurting other people, but not totally so. Because when you're, what are the, what's the acronym? The alcoholics who's hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stressed. Uh, you'll revert to it, maybe just at a low level, but it's still a, a sharp remark or a quick judgment. Yeah, so it, it doesn't preserve you from sin. Let's use that old-fashioned word that we don't use much anymore. It doesn't preserve you from uh, your your basic compulsion. Mm -hmm. It's still your basic compulsion because it's how you get your energy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I still get my energy by critiquing what's keeping something from being perfect. Other people, mm -hmm. other processes, other events, it's all... I cannot not see it. Mm -hmm. It's it, it's still that is still a burden. Mm -hmm. I wish I didn't see the problem, the mm -hmm. negative, but I do. Mm -hmm. Without trying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um but it starts with myself. Mm -hmm. Now that's made me able to describe in some of my books inner states inner conflicts, the shadow world, the shadow of the church, the shadow of man, the shadow of uh, religious life, all the things I'm a part of. Damn it, I see the shadow. Uh, and so if, if you don't find some way to um, balance that with kindness or mm. love or compassion or, or not caring, you know, T.S. Eliot says, teach us to care and not to care. I, I'm getting real good at that yeah. in my old age. Just, I don't care. Uh, now, that's my nine wing, as you would recognize, mm. you know. But when I was young and I cared vociferously, oh, I must have been a pain, I would think. Mm. I hope not, but mm. I bet I was. So how, how, how do you practice that compassion for yourself? I think I'm... Um I think for, for a lot of us, when we come to terms with the reckoning of our type, and I think a lot of people who are introduced to the Enneagram through the sort of, let's say, sin tendency or the shape of their tragic flaw with their passion, it's almost humiliating for yeah, us. Like, oh, it is. How, how, do we, how do we bring compassion inward? How do you, how do you, how do you show yourself compassion as, as a one? I mean, it's one of the hardest types I can't imagine being, right? Maybe. I don't know. I think they're all hard in their own way for that person. Uh, I I guess I just 
I'm back with, I don't care. Mm. (laughs) I stopped Mm. caring so intensely. We're immensely focused people, Mm. and that's our gift. But when I I let go of the way I care, the style with which I care, by correcting things, improving things, changing things, I'm just a much happier person. Mm. So I don't take myself nearly as seriously. I don't feel a need to state everything that comes into my mind. And there I've been helped by contemplation. Just because that thought came. And you know, that's a trouble, a problem for most ones. Most ones, you can figure out who the ones are in a group because they have to state <laughs> uh, what they don't agree with, mm. you know. And, and now I see how stupid it looks on them. Mm. So I don't, <laughs> mm. I don't want to be that way, mm. you know, to state your reservation. Mm. to state your conflict, even if, and sometimes it undoes 20 minutes of appreciation, they'll put in their depreciation. Mm. They don't even know they're doing it. They're blind Mm. when they're doing it. Mm. And it sours the whole group because it's got an air of negative, not an air, a, a real character of negativity to it. There's a uh, there's something sensitive about that also. Yeah, and that's true too. Mm. Like I know both at New Jerusalem and I hope here, at least Michael told me this a few weeks ago, he's the director here. Um, Richard, but the thing is, he says, at the end, you're invariably right. Mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, but it's just the nasty way we were led to say it. Yeah. Um, so I've tried to say it. Less nasty, mm. or and and if I don't know how to do that, I try not to say it at all. Mm. But well, that's easy for me because yeah. I've I've had a whole life of saying. Yeah. <laughs> so who needs to yeah. hear my thoughts on, on something anymore? You know. Well, it's yeah. fu- it's funny. I, I that 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 notion of the sensitivity of the one. Yeah. I I understand also kind of shows up physiologically in like how attuned their hearing is. That they they pick up on things that other folks might yes. not, and I wonder yes. what that sort of feels like internally. Like, do you kind of hear that sort of divine lullaby that you wish we could, or is there there's something that we're not picking up on? That you're a good interviewer. You're asking very good questions. I I didn't expect this. I don't know why. Um, I've been interviewed so often on the mm-hmm. Enneagram, and usually they're rather programmatic, you know, <laughs> and yours aren't at all. What, what a one does is intensely and constantly self-balance. If we listen to ourselves, mm-hmm. if we're conscious, if we're unconscious, we will state our unbalanced remark, even though it's half true. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but this desire to self-balance. I remember I was talking, oh, 20 years ago. Uh, I was often in the arena at Anaheim at the big religious education convention. And uh, a, a priest teacher, wise teacher, Father Ron Rollheiser, a man I respect, uh, he would always be sitting out there in the crowd. And I'd say, what do you have to learn from me? He'd always be there taking notes. I mean, he's much better writer than I am. And uh, he said, Richard, I love to watch how you constantly self-balance. You will make a prophetic statement that everybody thinks is prophetic and true, but then within five or ten minutes, if we stay with you, you will make exceptions, you will leave room for uh, alternatives, And he said, you have an obsession with self-balancing. And I said, yeah, usually if people listen to me long enough, they'll know I'm not a heretic, if I can say that. (laughs) I first of all, if you listen to me for just a a short bit, I probably sound like one. But stay in there. Mm. (laughs) And I don't know where that comes from, but it's probably securing my identity or something. I don't know. 
Enneagram map makers will continue in a moment. In Chris's book, The Enneagram of Belonging, you'll discover that knowing ourselves doesn't necessarily mean we accept ourselves. Most of us tend to curate the personality of our type, leading with the traits we perceive as positive and sidelining the traits that cause us shame. But what if it all belonged? Rather than furthering our own fragmentation, what if we dared to make peace with the whole of who we are with bold compassion? The Enneagram of Belonging is your guide to this essential journey. Get your copy today, wherever books are sold. Well, I, and, and I will say that about you. Like, that's one of the things that I, I, there's so many things, of course, but that I truly admire and respect about you is as, as a, I mean, established, I would, I, I don't want to sort of like throw the guru garland around you, but like <laughs> the guru garland, but you're, you're still a learner. Like you, you, you mm-hmm. it's as if you're, you stay curious. Yeah. These and, millennial staff, they're teaching me uh, completely different yeah. perspective. And that's a great I model. First of all, mistrusted, of course, because yeah. I'm a one. But I think when somebody stops learning, <laughs> and especially a teacher, like oh yeah, then they're dangerous. Yeah. Very good. So yes. thank you for showing us that. And and I think this is true. Like um, the things that we learn the best from our mentors aren't simply the words that they they share. Yeah, but it's energy. watching their lives. Their energy. And, and, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and that's true. That in you as well. Mm-hmm. So. So we're looking at, you know, coming up on 50 years of the Enneagram of personality. If we look back, like, what are the lessons that maybe we still haven't learned in 50 years that looking forward, we, we, we may be um, sort of urgently needing to unpack or, or live into or, or try to realize now? I guess my answer is probably going to, of course, reveal that I'm still a priest and a Franciscan. Um, I think the the secular culture we live in is almost impossible to avoid. For good and for ill, too. There I am, self-balancing, all right? Uh, the, the fear of using any language of surrender, God, trust, grace, it, it worries me. Not worries, concerns me. Uh, because... I, I believe the anagram is essentially a spiritual tool. Mm-hmm. And once it becomes a, a tool for my self-development by my choices and my insight and my self-understanding, I think you've lost the heart of the anagram. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm saying what the 12-steppers would say when they talk about a higher power. You can't use the language of surrender or trust unless there's someone to surrender to or trust. Uh, And we have become so secular. I see it even here at the Center for Action and Contemplation, Mm -hmm. sort of hesitant to to talk about another source uh, than ourselves. But uh, as we've moved, and you well know this, and it's doing much good, into the business world and the education world, the only way you can do it, you're allowed to do it, is to forget the God language. Mm -hmm. So that'd be my, and and that's what I've said in the last keynotes over the last 20 years, you know, trying to not do it in a preachy way and knowing, okay, he has to do that, he's a priest. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's just because I'm, this is my job description. I believe it. I believe that uh, there has to be a larger source that we rely upon. Because if you just use the tool for willpower, you know, Gerald May years ago talked about, he said there's two paths, willfulness and willingness. And he says the psychological path, and he had a PhD in psychology, is is really willfulness. Figure it out by whatever latest psychological theory there is, and then work at it. But you read the language of the mystics and the saints and the prophets, 
and it's entirely willingness. Mm. That's a different language. Yeah. So I just think, um, although I don't talk to him anymore, but that was my job for years was to keep reminding him, don't throw it out entirely. Yeah. Even though I know we live in a secular culture. Yeah. And that's one reason I, I've deeply admired people like yourself, uh, people like um, uh, Russ Hudson. He isn't afraid to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. And I think that circles back to what you were saying earlier about surrender, right? How the young games remind us that like, if we, if we won't go willingly, our egos will drag us. Oh, um, yes, yes, yes. But I want to also just say this: like, if if looking into the future, of this um, it really requires that we 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 keep this rooted in spirituality. Honestly, you did that. Like, you you started that with what you were doing early on in yeah, in, 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 in the so. in the early days of the personality system. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So I think for a lot of us it's living into the responsibility of, yeah, of your investments in our thank lives you, and thank you. your investment in this community. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll derail this real quick, but yeah, uh, I know it doesn't work like this, but we've, doing fine. we've, um, doing fine. we've, we've, we've determined that our dog Basil is um, a two, a social <laughs> two with a one wing, right? The double compliance style social and the social two. instinct being his herding instinct uh, oh. with your little dog, Opie <laughs> sitting here with us. Have Opie. you figured out his type? Yes. He's a two. Are all dogs two? So no, I don't think they are, but a high percentage of them hmm. are. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he has a three wing for sure. He does quite well here in the group, hmm. going around sniffing everybody and picking a different person to sit next to. Hmm. Uh, and he likes to uh, be effective. He's not a working dog. He's a terrier. Well, maybe that is a working dog. I guess it is. Mm. He, he's discovered lizards. Mm. <laughs> he's now obsessed with catching lizards. And it's useless to try to get him to pee or to poop <laughs> until he's caught at least one lizard. <laughs> okay, I've succeeded. So I mm. see the little three in him. Mm. Um, now, uh, he, uh, he isn't old enough to have developed his second wing yet. I don't see much one in him. It, no, I do, in his guard dog instinct. Mm. Anybody who comes in my office quickly or is tall like the, the Pauls here, uh, <laughs> uh, they will get a growl mm. and even a nip. Mm. So, yeah, that's. We're barking dogs, yes, as you know. Yes. <laughs> it's funny. I know it doesn't work this way, but I, it's just like it's so funny because when I um, was working on my, my, my latest book and, and, and trying to tease out what I think the instincts are, my sense is this is the residue of evolution left over in our DNA. It's not reflective. It's not conscious. Wow. And if I can't observe these experiences of the instinct in my dog, then they're not the instincts. Wow, that's brilliant. So it's yes. funny to just talk to pet owners about what energies about can you pick up in your animal because we we've received that I think from them too. So from what? We've received these sort of the imprints of these instincts imprints. from them. Yeah, gee, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially when you know that historically uh people lived with their animals. They slept with them. They mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Wow, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Like that really is your contribution. Like you giving us the rails for for incorporating spirituality or practice with awareness of of type. And so has has there been any hinges for you in that personally? I do think my one idealism uh kept me faithful to some form of meditation, contemplation, beginning the day with quiet, mm -hmm. like I did today. But also, let me add this. You know, one is so damn sure of himself that I, I'm going to sound like Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a rebellious sense. But like, um, you know, I sit with my coffee I light my candle in the morning. I let Opie out and let Opie back in. And, and uh, I sort of settle into it. 
I've never been concerned about posture. Mm. You know, that's what I mean. Well, I sort of know falsely or truthfully what the essentials are and what the non-essentials are. Mm. Um, I know it's not good to sit in a too comfy chair, so I try to sit. But beyond that, I let the spirit lead me. Uh, it's not highly structured at all. Some mm. days, if my dead head is dead, I um, I will open a spiritual book. Some days I'll begin to journalize. Although I've stopped doing that, it concerns me. I don't know. If, I, I keep thinking, well, you don't have anything more to journalize about. I really do. Mm. I don't know if it's the health issues I'm facing or what, but I just know that's behind me now to, that I need to write down what I'm experiencing. I really am trying to figure out where that motivation is coming from, mm. not to need to write and not to need to read. Mm. So both of those are less. So I sort of just sit there, usually quite mm. content, mm. so content that I, uh, I don't feel a need to get up and start the day. Mm. I'm getting in here later than I used to. What does that all mean? I um, I am praying, but I'm very much praying in my own way yeah. of just being consciously in loving union with whatever is around me, yeah. whatever is right in front of me, and that comes easily now. Yeah, that's yeah. that's amazing because for 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 typical ones, those oughts and yeah, shoulds yeah. and that compliance to the super ego is. Yeah, I know I'm unusual in that. That's true. Mm. Yeah, most of them, shoulds and oughts, control their life. Yeah. I think because I was raised in a minor seminary in Novitiate, which was nothing but shoulds and oughts, mm. and I was so good at it, mm. uh, I saw the emptiness of it. And even in the professors and disciplinarians, there was always a disciplinarian in the minor seminary. I saw how fruitless it was in their life. They were men, as Paul would say, St. Paul, uh, who clearly obeyed the law, but they didn't strike me as very free men, very happy men. Mm. And so I, I felt rather free mm. to throw it out, mm. the shoulds and oughts. Mm. Uh, maybe too much. I don't know. I'm, mm. I, uh, I don't know. I um I don't want to like roll out all the jargon, but like in in particular from from your experience, like how have you been able to sort of <laughs> move that inner critic, which is so fierce, right, in the mind of the one, mm -hmm. to a compassionate inner observer? How I don't believe my own press anymore. I I, I don't mean written my own self-manufactured uh, definition of my motivations, my intention. I realize even that's dressed up. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I did that for love of God or did that for love of neighbor. Well, Richard, maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, uh, once you stop believing in your own press, the normal phrase we use for that is to stop taking yourself seriously. Then I do believe your um, your true self, even your true Enneagram self, can rise, mm. uh, can show itself, which is really rather good. It, it mm. isn't. Uh, uh, I've never been humorous my whole life. And yet in the last year, more and more people tell me I'm funny. Hmm. I don't, still don't think I am. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that's the showing of it, mm -hmm. that, um, that I am taking myself less seriously. Mm -hmm. Once you do that, the virtue of sincere caring or compassion can show itself mm -hmm. uh, because you're not constrained by this self-analysis mm. and this self-critique, which keeps you self-absorbed. Yeah. And now I don't care so much. Uh, 
Mm. Whether I'm good or bad or right or wrong, I know that sounds immoral. It actually isn't. <laughs> I don't think. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Yeah. So um, I was too moral, mm. although it wasn't moral at all. <laughs> you follow me? Yeah. I, it's, it was always moral by my definition, and uh, it, it, in most cases, ended up being my worst faults. Mm. Yeah that I could only see in time by over-moralizing about this is the right thing to do. Therefore, he's right, she's wrong. The payoff was just not worth it because you projected it onto everybody else, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. Even identity issues like American, Christian, Catholic, the three vows of religious life, all the things that I guided my life on made me critical of people who weren't that way. You understand? Mm. Well, he's sleeping around all the time every day, so he isn't as good as me. Oh, it's just, who cares? Mm. I I couldn't hold that. any longer and be a loving person by making my more moral decisions the criteria of judgment or of analysis. So I had to let go of it and I found myself much wiser and I think much happier. Hmm. So why not trust that? Yeah. So, you know, ones, fours, and sevens are the frustrated idealists. And um, I think for those of us who aren't in that little triad, like, we're not sure exactly what it is that you all seem to be frustrated about or how that frustration <laughs> shows up. Yeah. So like, could you talk through that a little bit? Like how have you navigated that sort of static noise in the back of the mind of the one that just sort of causes maybe some of these things to come out a little salty or grumpy or crusty. <laughs> You're being so kind. Yeah, one, four, seven. But they're very different energies, the way they do it, you know. Like the seven never looks like it, but they are, mm-hmm. yeah. And they just decide to be happy all the time and positive all the time. Uh, well, in, in many ways, it was teaching that to other people. Let us play out that, that example, that... I could see the idealism of a four, which is the right color and the right ambience and the right. Uh, well, it was its own kind of idealism, which I often admired. I love the good taste of a four, but I said, "Well, whose is the true idealism?" You know, mm. mine was sort of moral. Mm. Uh, the the sevens was sort of or is sort of uh, the perfect, happy, smiling world, you know, how to create Disneyland everywhere. And there's just enough truth in all three of those and just enough illusion. So I had to have something to compare my one idealism to to relativize it, Hmm. you know, to say, you know, mine isn't the only kind. And in fact, I recognize that mine is the most distasteful. A lot of people, do, rightly so, mm. do not like ones because they see that knitted eyebrow and that critical. And <laughs> me, especially being an authority figure for almost my whole life, boy, people are just watching uh, the judgment of the authority figure mm. because it mirrors their dad usually. Mm. And uh, I got tired of carrying that, mm. that uh, people thinking I'm judging them when actually I'm not. Uh, a lot of negativity, this is worth saying, a lot of negativity is laid on ones that isn't always necessarily there. Yes. It's just because we're so conscientious, serious, hardworking. Everybody assumes, like, I walk through this place rushing usually to my next responsibility. 
Mm-hmm. And I know there are certain staff just think, well, he's judging me because I'm not rushing. Uh, um, but that's part of that that mm-hmm. that eight one initiating energy, the the yeah. drive of the eight and ones that sort of flank the nine, and it's almost like we're picking up their slack, or we're picking up yep, their yep. internalized energy and yes. overcompensating for them. Well said. Well so said. So it's got to be hard to keep up with you. Yeah, unfortunately, I guess it is. Mm -hmm. And yet I don't consider it hard work. It's just, it's my life. Why would anybody not want to do their life? But it is easy for me to see other people as sluggards. That's the the word used of guys in the seminary Mm -hmm. who didn't pull their weight, you know. He's a sluggard. Wow. Your generation doesn't use that word, I hope. Such a <laughs> slacker, word. maybe slacker. Slacker, you say. Mm. Uh, and to me, it's like, well, she doesn't care very much. Mm. See the one in that? Oh. But you do, I think you do a good job of keeping folks in line. I mean, I, I joined well, you all for meditation today, and you mm. started a, a, a solid three minutes early, which was probably for some ones. Five minutes late. Uh, oh, that must be off then. <laughs> no, no, I normally try not to start early. All right. Uh, anyway. No. But, but I am overly punctual. Hmm. No, but not at meditation, I don't no. think. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I honestly, thank you so much You're for welcome. your time. Honestly, and, and I mean, it's like, thank you for everything that you have shown us through embodied sort of alignment with with what comes out of this teaching what comes out of this tradition like yeah. that's where your credibility is and i think that's where the lasting value of of your 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 contributions your impact and and really your leadership in this is and so thank you chris it's important to me to be a part of a lineage hmm. and they've heard me say it here many times otherwise why should anybody listen to me hmm. unless i can say i'm standing on the shoulders of a tradition whether it be a, a scripture tradition, a mystical tradition, an enneagram tradition, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think the uh, the Eastern religions probably have taken that more seriously. We just quoted dogmas and doctrines, but not really lineage. Mm-hmm. So um, the enneagram lineage is important to me. Mm-hmm. Thank you for recognizing. Yeah, appreciate it. So thanks for listening in. If any of that inspired you or or left you wanting more, check out Father Richard's community, the Center for Action and Contemplation, and the amazing people that allow for that to gift goodness and and peace into the world. Of course, his book, The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective, is is a fabulous start. And if you can't put that down and, and, and there's more, I'd also pick up Falling Upward, I uh, read that three times and I still feel like I haven't read it at the right point in my life. I imagine every time I return to that little volume, it will mean something different and something more. And then of course, his podcast is amazing. And so if you uh, need a little bit more of your Father Richard fix, there's plenty of ways to chase that down. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Enneagram Mapmakers. Special thanks to Ryan O'Neill for the gorgeous, as always, Sleeping At Last music and the gifted and talented genius that is Corey Pig for producing the show. And lastly, the sweet voice you hear helping at the beginning of the show is my dear friend Edith Moore, all the way from Christchurch, New Zealand.